Assalamualaikum and a very good morning. I'll be your host, Khalib and Kairal of the Collab Podcast. And today, we'll be discussing the topic on whether or not economic sanctions are effective in compelling foreign states to abide by international human rights standards. I'm joined here by three students from the Malay College Kuala Kansa into discussing this topic. So without further ado, I would like to call out uh, Hanif bin Fidaus from Five Science One to open with his idea on the topic itself. Okay, hello, uh, very good morning first to everyone listening and today I and a lot of my two other teammates who are also really college students as aforementioned will be discussing on the previously mentioned topic. Now when it comes to economic sanctions, you should understand that there are more to, uh, in most cases other than, in most cases, you can say that these economic sanctions are used to compel other states not only when it comes to abiding human rights but also to other matters. They can do something with trade routes or imply tariffs and so on and such. I would like to pass this to the other student on the college. I feel like in the context of uh, economic sanctions, oftentimes it's, infor- it's used to enforce uh, standardized rules in via international law. That being said, the question is, the question really just revolves around the sense that is it really effective and the ethicality behind it. Mean to say that is it really ethically is it really ethically uh, viable for us to continue these sanctions uh, and so forth. I'll pass it to my editing mate. Yeah, on the issue of economic sanctions, I think firstly we need to understand that there are technically in a sense two main competing members. Firstly, you have the West, firstly, you have the Western faction that is, prob- that is, in my opinion, represented by the International Monetary Fund because I understand that the main key player in the IMF is the United States and you have the AIIB who also spearheads the Belt and Road Initiative that is by China and understand that economic sanctions can probably, uh, any major economic sanctions can come from any of these two camps but understand that China is more lenient towards the violation of human rights. That is to say, from a strategic perspective, is that if the IMF were to hand out economic sanctions, or sorry, if the West if the West were to hand out any economic sanctions to developing nations, they would probably also have to consider the fact that there's, a, there's always an active backup plan that is China. And yeah, this probably also affects the effectiveness of, the effectiveness of it. Yeah. To my in, my in my opinion, I'd say that in the context of economic sanctions, uh, that is to say that when it comes to compelling countries to follow their standardized rules, uh, international law, oftentimes we have to, we have to uh, lower the scope a little bit more and specify the kinds of economic sanctions that is. I think that the main kind of economic sanctions that are used to enforce these rules are like embargoes too specifically. Basically, what embargoes are uh, is a kind of sanction where they blockade trade and in doing so, make the trade exports and imports of a country more expensive. Meaning to say that now, let's say what we want to create a sanction, let's say Malaysia is sanctioned right now, it would mean that a specific resource, uh, it becomes more expensive or just exporting and importing becomes more expensive. Right? I will say that sanctions aren't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, a lot of the time, sanctions have been historically used to aid the economy of a country. So let's say that uh, let, uh, Britain and America is a very famous user of this and, we, and, we, and it's often like a very big example of an economic superpower. So that is to say, uh, oftentimes the reason why it's such, uh, the reason why it is used and regarded as such an economic uh, use, use of it is that it's used to protect like local industries, right? meaning to say 
that once economic sanctions are used, that's when like globalization. That's when the effects of globalization. That means that larger corporations coming from outside of the country aren't like uh, aren't affecting the local countries, and that means that they don't have to face the intense competition coming from countries that are from that are from the outside. I pass it on to Alif. So you're saying that if we were to, if the country that applied the sanctions to another foreign state per se on how we take on the example last year, which happened on yeah, last year, of course, on how there was a sanction war between America and the United States, the United States and China, am I right? Yes. yes. So when it comes to that, you're saying that if America were to apply sanctions to China, as they did last year, so local prices in China rise, and yes. why would that be bad in the first place in terms of ethics? I feel like in terms of ethicality, the first thing that should be considered is the fact that while it's used to basically mitigate the roles they play in violating international law, oftentimes the one affected are the ordinary citizens, meaning to say that citizens that are innocent, citizens who are just there in the country, and citizens who have little to do or like in many cases don't know anything about politics in the first place, or often put in situations where they're forced to where they're forced to have to pay the price for the and they pay the consequences for their country's uh, like basically playing around the prices, right? All for the sake of either dom or either either global domination, uh, like an econo- like for an economic superpower like China, where they want to dominate the economic field, uh, or they and as such they suffer huge backlash and like have to live much harsher lives. And I feel like a lot of, in a lot of cases, let's say, uh, let's say an offer, let's say like uh, Afghanistan being sanctioned, right? A lot of cases when, where those countries, uh, where, the, where a lot of human violations happen, those countries are uh, can be very impoverished. I mean, to say those countries suffer from human violation, human rights violations because of the fact that they are very corrupt officials. Meaning to say that when, when that happens, when they are sanctioned, the people who are already oppressed under the regime of a, of a government that doesn't value citizens are further oppressed by harsher prices. So I think that a very big case is that just in general, the people on the ground, the people who are actually suffering, and the people that sanctions are meant to protect because of the fact that law wants to protect the people weakest, ultimately are facing the worst threats. I pass it to Adam. I think an argument, sorry, any point that could be against this is that firstly, having, <coughs> having no economic sanctions in the first place already to an extent makes the regime that is actively oppressing these individuals probably easier because the goal of economic sanctions is to disrupt a nation's, at least by the CIA doctrine, is to disrupt the nation's administration. For example, let's say if there's, a, if there's a despot operating in like a small foreign state which the US is trying to actively sanction, the prob- the, this economic distraught is probably temporary and this temporary economic distraught can probably bring any kind of disruption, any kind of like public, public unrest in order to take down the regime and probably do what the US calls an installation of democracy. However, I think a more recent example of this is of economic sanctions affecting people on the ground is Ukraine and how Russian civilians are actively suffering from this kind of giant Western bloc sanction. And we can see that to an extent, you can, you can see that Russia in and of itself is also strengthening its kind of anti-Western bloc with China and also grouping allies into their fight with, into their economic fight with the US. And that is to say, I believe that to a large extent, right, uh, while it can be argued that sanctions are like, you, well, you can argue that. I'm sorry, can you like repeat what you said? Yeah. Oh, about how economic sanctions, at least by the CIA doctrine, uh, is meant to cause a temporary disruption okay. in order to take down the Basically, in my opinion, uh, I, I think that there are a lot of cases, or at least there are some cases, of countries that are basically forced into situations where 
the point of which those instructions happen, another regime or the same regime takes advantage of this and uses it to install their own principles to take control of uh, take the deeper controls of the people, citizens. We need to see that let's say that uh, US puts sanctions on Cuba or Libya, that's when more civil unrest happens and as such militants or just people or corrupt officials use it to further consolidate consolidate their power. That's why in Libya the the economy there is still crippled, is still in such a bad state to the point where they're more and uh, they're more and more forced into these uh, into these cases where they have to start uh, uh, protesting in very violent and like very militant uh, ideologies spur up and uh how do you have any, do you have any opinion on this? No. You were bringing two very big subjects, not subjects, as in two very different people who are affected this. So, if I were per to say, if I were per se, to be pro on these international economic sanctions, who would you believe would be more damaged? Would it be these first world countries, like you said, the United States or China, or these developing or these countries with more poorer economic situations, such as you said? Was it Libya and Afghanistan? So who do you think plays a bigger role if these sanctions were to be put in the first place? I feel like in the context of bigger and more powerful countries, where let's say countries like Russia and America and China, those countries, often the reason why they do so, often the reason why they do sanction these countries, is because of the fact that a country, let's say America, proclaims that China or Russia is uh, violating international law, and as such, we see, like let's say in case of China last year, as you have said earlier, uh, the sanction war. What happened was that I'd say that a large, a major role that happened was that while America sanctioned China for violating international IP laws, inter- intellectual property laws, what happened was that China, in response to that, because of the fact that it's economically, it's also economic, it's also an economical giant, uh, responsively also gives sanctions to America. So what happened was that. The sanctions kept increasing and increasing to the point where it was so expensive, and the point where it damaged both of the countries. So to say that, to so to say that, uh, which one damaged most? I'd say that I can't really give an opinion on that, but I will say that there are two that, that two different responses come up. The often the response for countries that are very very big is that when you sanction a big country, a lot of uh, when you sanction a big country, it also means sanctioning the, the country often sanctions you back. And that's why resources become more expensive, and those resources are usually resources that are very important. So let's say that uh, oil, for instance, and Russia is a super giant when it comes to oil. The reason why the reason why Russia, uh, the reason why it's such a the reason why it's such a big because of the fact now countries uh, when oil becomes expensive, countries are now forced to uh, make oil expensive respectively, and as such, people on the ground suffer more. And we need to we need to note the fact that oftentimes when while you could say that oil is very important, note, note the fact that uh, not the fact that it's not just oil, because the fact that oftentimes, let's say in the case of Ukraine, the point at which Ukraine's supply of grain stopped being produced, stopped being mass produced, and that's when others, other products also were affected. Mean to say that now, because of the fact that grain was affected, it also means that like baby 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 products are affected. It means that products that uh, heavily like grain, uh, medical products. Uh, etc. are also affected. So that is to say that it isn't just it isn't just a single uh, harm that occurs, but rather it also it, it also like a domino effect. Yeah, it's a domino effect throughout the entire market because of that fact. Especially when it's a major and very basic uh, necessity in product in production. Adam. I think yeah I think the food security issue highlighted by Adip also should also sheds like an interesting issue. 
whether or not okay, administrations have the moral obligation in order to like quote unquote protect Ukraine to the point that you are actively to the point that you are actively endangering citizens, for example, as mentioned by Adip, you have a digital baby formula sh shortage in a firm, correct? I remember reading that this shortage led to baby formula having to be delivered by literal military aircraft. And I think that even the US resolve, at least the US people's resolve to keep on the sanction against Ukraine is also starting to fall because firstly I understand that no citizen likes rising gas prices. It's been a complaint ever since we started sanctioning Russia. And one of these like Western papers are starting to bash even countries like India, which mind you have active poverty issues and to an extent is a developing economy and won't do anything to actually try to escape the cycle of poverty. You have these Western newspapers, ironically, bashing them for one thing, quote unquote, cheap oil, but in reality, this the US in and of itself, the Biden administration at least, is trying to fulfill this kind of uh, moral obligation in order to sanction Russia, but at the same time, it's hurting its own economy, and you have this kind of, and you even have this kind of dazzled nationalist politicians who really love this kind of sanction, this kind of sentiment of defending Western values, actively actively condoning starvation just so people could fulfill moral obligations towards protecting Ukraine. Though I do not have any concrete opinion on this, I think there are always two sides. Uh, so, Hanif, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you see, based on what we've discussed so far, I guess, I guess you can say that we're really, uh, in the sense, not, not very friendly to these economic sanctions. But we did say on the ethicals and on the more in the ethics side, you can say it does sound pretty inhumane to me. And you've also talked about the domino effects on the harms, on how that's how that cripples the economy of the country that's being sanctioned, especially in second world countries where not the citizens. Citizens will be the most harmed as you know collateral damage. But at the same time, the people who actually con who, who conduct these inhumane activities are to be untouched, unsullied. But the very notion that this motion exists, but um, the very fact that these economic sanctions do exist to this day means that they do provide some form of benefit that we have not discussed yet. Do you think that there are any benefits? Uh, do you think there are any benefits to economic sanctions? Uh, yeah, I think that firstly, to understand, I'm not sure, we've been bashing economic sanctions for a couple of minutes now, but I think you should understand that are, are there any other options on the table? Let's say in another war in Ukraine, let's say, okay, maybe let's rewind back time before they, when Russia just started invading. So let's say NATO had a couple of uh, a couple of choices to respond to this, and maybe I'll just like try to simplify it into two options. One, crippling economic sanctions by the Western bloc, but two is quite literally direct military intervention in Ukraine. And understand, that I think most of it, most people who keep up with IR news even know that even with economic sanctions today, with no real military intervention by NATO, we've actually heard lots of news about either Ukrainian jets in Sweden soil, which could probably even trigger Article 5, which would most probably cause war in, in Europe and just cascade into overall world war. And I think, and I think that economic sanctions play a, this kind of pacifier role in international relations, in which it's used to more of a pacifist and non-violent action. That is not not, not really non-violent, but it's not it's a non-direct action towards any kind of atrocities committed by a foreign state. Which in comparison, which in comparison to direct intervention, which could lead to you know more, much more violence and conflict. And yeah, I guess leave it it. I think I completely agree with Adam <coughs> because I feel like. Foreign intervention is a very complicated subject. That is to say that it's very hard for a country to intervene with an economic politics without directly doing so. Meaning to say that, let's say, 
Russia, let's say that North Korea, uh, we are, let's say that there are only a few options in the international scope to really get to another country. So that is to say, there are many cases where it can happen, but none of it is effective. Like, let's say for instance, we have kind, uh, politicians actively dismissing countries. We don't think that... Corrupted politicians using the country for... It's more like uh, politicians, like politicians anywhere. Uh, let's say Joe Biden or Ted Cruz or in our case, Aspen Ali, Muir Yassin, Mahdi Muhammad, they condemn people or countries on the other side. Let's say China for the Uyghur Muslim policy or policies, or America for the for uh, or America for the uh, or Russia for the atrocities during Ukraine uh, during the Ukraine Russia war. We think that they, when this happens, we just have a, we just have a cascading effect, which is that followers in those countries tend to like uh, follow it more. But that is to say, it doesn't have a lasting effect on the people that they're talking about. We also think that. So another alternative could be like uh, maybe a direct war, but like like that, that thing like that's the thing like do you really want a war with other countries involving your own country into a war? And like even when you do a war, like, we don't really want to start that. But I, I, I don't want I rather not experiment that. Right? But in another case, I feel like there's a very that's not a ridiculous uh, way that countries often get into fight and uh, fight each other, right? And that's by like basically showboating their weapons. We see this in North Korea, right? where North Korea basically flexes their weapons off and America is like, oh my god, they're coming for you, they're going to kill you. Then America shows their weapons with like nuclear bombs or that. Then it just cascades into like a weird uh, measuring contest, I would say what. <laughs> okay, um, that is to say, I feel like, I've, I think that brings up to another, to, another, to another topic, which is like basically, you guys know about the nuclear umbrella. Nuclear umbrella is basically an, uh, basically like pe- uh, people, countries hiding behind another superpower, a military superpower that has nuclear weapons. So let's say we have uh, countries like uh, countries that don't have any weapons, like Singapore, uh, like Taiwan, that feel like they want to that feel like they want they need to be safe because now they see lots of countries have like this big strong weapon that can destroy your entire country with like one bomb. So I feel like what happens is that oftentimes these countries uh, often hide behind, or not say hide, but they, they often ally themselves with countries and uh, and align themselves with these countries as to keep themselves safe from countries who have nuclear weapons by keeping themselves with nuclear weapon countries. So what happens is that oftentimes when this happens, uh, we think that this that we can say that economic sanctions could be a reason why this is such a big case. Because think of it this way, let's say you come from a country that's economically weak, that is weaker militarily, and now you see countries like America actively sanctioning countries that don't meet their norms of justice. I feel like ultimately, ultimately this will cascade to, into the fact that now countries are more afraid of these, of these superpowers and as such align themselves or an army starts out. Meaning to say that now countries like Pakistan are building nuclear weapons because of the fact that they because of the fact that they do not want to be afraid of American oppression or Russian oppression or Chinese oppression at the end of the day. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? Any? I guess you could say on the nuclear umbrella and which will cascade to a nuclear tally if you do know what that means. If per se country A were to send nukes to country B, country B who has signed a contract with country C saying that oh if country B gets attacked, country C will attack the attacker. So C attacks A. Then suddenly, A is friends with some country D. So D will bomb country C, and that's how the world cascades. So you might say that um, in the very reason that 
if you imply that if you do apply these sanctions on countries, the benefit will be that I guess their military power will increase. Is that what you said? But that is under the notion that they will form factions, just like how on how uh, America, you, Australia, and was it the United Kingdom? Oh, they, uh, AUKUS, was it? Yeah, 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 it was AUKUS. On how they formed a faction, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. mm-hmm. on uh, military. So if you were to like say countries like that, where their military powers were combined, and with the fact that they will also be building nuclear weapons, wouldn't that be harming any global laws or any international violation? Wouldn't that violate any international laws? So that is still something half of new economic sanctions. So the benefit that you covered just now was that it will invoke some spark of economic of. Uh, what was it? Military, develop, yeah. military yeah. development yeah. and more, uh, more democratic relationships with other countries. But that can also be considered a harm, do not forget. If you remember from earlier this year, when NATO was quite progressively boycotting Russia and all the other propaganda, they used the Orthodox Church to consider NATO as heretics, if I'm not wrong, to brainwash their citizens, not to brainwash. Forgive my language, but the they use the Orthodox Church, which involved you know a religion of course, to move the movement, saying that Nito and others were heretics and they had to use, and they were trying to defend their country from so said heretics. Now, I think Adam here has an opinion. Do you think? Uh, yeah, two things. Firstly, like the general ethicalities of having international you know, international treaties with nations. I think the most apparent example is Nito. Because understand that Nito has been an extremely controversial figure at least being up from the fall of the Soviet Union until from the fall of the Soviet Union until status quo because most people would argue that at the point which the Soviet Union fell and there was no real active red threat in you know the Western bloc, people would argue that you know that NATO has ended its kind of life and its and its kind of lifespan and its kind of its kind of a purpose. But it, but it, the NATO continued on expanding, in fact even expanding closer towards the borders of Russia to which the point that its president Vladimir Putin even claimed even claimed this expansion as a form of imperialism. However, I understand that Putin's claim has to also be made in the context in which Russia doesn't also have, have its international ties. However, contradictory, uh, con- contradict ironically, Russia also to an extent has its ties with China, uh, has its has, sorry, has its ties with China and how essentially it forms one kind of anti-West bloc. So you can see that these kind of national treaties where the West has their own treaty. People who actively uh, do not support the West have their own ac- organizations. You can see that, like I did say, this actually condones internet. This actually condones a rapid, mil- a rap- rapid military development, which is to an extent not good because understand that bigger weapon, bigger weapons of these weapons only boost the effects of mutually assured destruction. Now, how are you on it? What? How are you on it? What, 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 what do you mean? Yeah, you mean what? Like boosting um, weapons? I was talking about how the organizations. Organizations like NATO and any other kind of anti-NATO or international organizations are essentially to an extent morally unjustified and yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right there. Lah. One could say that NATO in itself is a very dangerous organization because of the fact that it has too much power. That's my that's my opinion on it, lah. and I feel like I'm not alone in this because uh, we see in other countries where anti-Western sentiment uh, arises because of the fact that they believe that America has too much power or NATO in itself has too much power and these Western, and these Western countries are facing that power uh, Kind of something else 
Uh, I think that it's a very, very interesting topic we have because it's a topic that really affects the people on the ground, the people victim. We, it's, a, it's a really uh, a topic which uh, affects like how if if the people on the ground does inhuman acts, is it really viable for for the country to actually in, engage these economic sanctions? And I think that these three uh, very intelligent students of the college really give their all. I think. Uh, I think. I hope. I hope that uh, the people listening to this podcast has uh, so much, so much they've they learned about economic sanctions and the effects, uh, the benefits and the the negatives on what it does to a country and the opinions given by Hanif, Adib, and Adam alike really gave me uh, a new perspective on these countries and what it does uh, in the near future, like in the long term, what happens. Um, so my name is Khalif. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I bid you farewell. Happy good morning.